Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to What Was Media Podcast, the show where we talk about all things media and business. Hi, Annabelle. How have you been? I'm excellent, Alyssa. How are you? I'm also excellent. You want to tell them why? Yeah, I do. Your Georgia Bulldogs are the reigning national champion. I just heard something cracking my neck, but it's okay. Go, you silver britches. They pulled it off. The curse is over. We have not won a championship in 41 years. We've defeated our cross-line rival, Alabama, 33 to 18. And Alyssa and I, as alumni, alumnas, I should say. One of, one of those. You get it. Yeah, just alums of Georgia. We are unbelievably stoked. We stayed up late watching the game, so we're a little tired, but we're excited nonetheless. I gave my cat a few heart attacks last night because of how much I was jumping in and out of my seat. Yes, yes. We were watching with a couple of dogs and the dogs were like, what is going on? When she says we, she means her and her friends in Atlanta. I was by myself, but yes. the spirit was felt. Oh God. Yes. We absolutely wish Alyssa was there with us. I wish I could have been because not going to lie, at the very end when they started talking about like, I'm sure the Bulldog Nation across the country is feeling this one tonight. I teared up a little bit because, you oh. know, my little my little how, howdy Texas ass was like, yeehaw. Mm-hmm. Yeehaw dogs. Yeehaw dogs. What are you going to be talking about today, Annabelle, to ring in the new year? Yes. So thank you guys for being patient with us while we put out a new episode. We know it's been a couple weeks here, but... You know, we wanted to enjoy the holidays and get through the new year, hit the ground running with work and all that this year. Um, but my first story is about the end of the Theranos saga because a verdict was reached in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. So definitely going to talk about that because you all know I am obsessed with this case. Correct. And then my second story is about some disappointing climate change data that we got yesterday. And uh, be afraid, be very afraid. Always. I'm never not afraid. Yes. That's good. What have you got for us? Sadly, Annabelle, I'm sure you already know, but we lost a legend the other day. And that legend's name is Sidney Poitier. And many people, you know, our age may have heard his name in passing, but may not know everything about him. So I thought I'd go into a little, not really deep dive, but like give you give you an idea of what this man has done for not only Black Hollywood, but Hollywood in general, because Homeboy was killing it. Yes. And other than that, you know me, I love an award show story. And turns out the Grammys have been postpone for yet another year mm-hmm. um not not for a year but for the second year in a row so i'm gonna be talking about that today all right all right all right okay so i'm gonna start off right off with mr and i would like to say um obviously we are all saddened by the tragic passing of Bob Saget as well. I don't know about Annabelle, but I grew up, like I was obsessed with Full House. I had the box sets, like mm-hmm. it was everything to me. So seeing that he passed away really hurt my feelings. Yeah, and that was upsetting because he was only 65. So only like he 65. lived a good long-ish life, but like compared to the normal lifespan in the States, 65 is pretty young. 
very yes it's around my parents age so um but we just wanted to recognize that and also peter bogdanovich passed away as well which many people you know my my dad was like i heard he passed away what he do and i was like dad he's a he's a very famous director but obviously i didn't want to make both my stories about tragic passings so i just wanted to highlight those two before we get into my main event today who is mr sydney portier so i didn't title this anything other than a true hollywood icon Mr. Sidney Poitier was born on February 20th, 1927 in Miami, Florida to, I don't know why I said it like that, Florida, um, to Evelyn and Reginald James Poitier. He was the youngest of how many children, Annabelle? Five? Seven. Good Lord. Yeah. So you Were they Catholic? I believe they actually were. That, that, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It was... <laughs> Every time there's a big family, I'm convinced the parents are Catholic because they're, you know. She goes Catholic, I go Mormon. So Okay, you know, that that also makes sense. I just grew up Catholic, so I'm like, oh, yeah, they definitely weren't um, using birth control. So Fair enough, fair kids. enough, yes. Um, he was also born three months premature. Oh, wow. And his parents were Bahamian farmers from Cat Island who would routinely travel to Miami. My- God, I can't talk today. I'm so sorry. The family in Miami. (laughs) Get me for all your uh, fun slogan uh, jingles and whatnot, going back to Full House. Um, They would go to Miami regularly to sell their wares. And because he was born three months premature, they weren't prepared for his arrival. So he was born in Miami. And because of this, he was actually um, a naturalized U.S. citizen. So. Yes, he American um, soil makes you an American. Amen. Yes. Uh, he did grow up in the Bahamas, though. Um, they his family moved to Nassau when he was 10, which for those of you who may not know, Nassau is the capital of the Bahamas. And he then moved to Miami when he was 15 to live with his brother's family and then New York at 16. So homeboy was getting around. He was he was not in that way, not in that way, but, you know, just scooting around, making himself known. He failed his first audition due to his inability to read his script in New York. And I actually read the story about um, during this time, obviously, uh, he couldn't just get by on going to auditions. So he was working as like dishwashers and waiters. And at one of the um places that he washed dishes at there was an elderly Jewish man that actually heard about him failing his audition because of his inability to read and that man sat down with Sydney and helped him learn how to read so he could prepare for his next audition oh, that's so sweet I know I think that's so beautiful well, some content I know so around this time sadly America as well as the rest of the world became embroiled in World War II and because Sydney was so patriotic in that way, he lied about his age to enlist in 1943. Wow. Okay. Not an uncommon practice. Lying in order to enlist? Yeah. You lie about your age. Never heard that before? I've heard of it, but I always just, I hear just as much about like the draft dodgers, you know? That's fair. Yeah. My, my grandfather actually lied about his age so he could um, serve in World War II. Fun fact. Oh, good for him. Yeah. 
Air Force, baby. Um, okay. So he was actually trained to work with psychiatric patients in World War II. So he wasn't on the front lines. He was more or less working um, back home, like taking care of the patients. And he became very upset with how the hospital that he was working at treated the patients that he was in charge of and actually feigned a mental illness to be discharged because he was so distraught with how things were going. He was like, I can't be a part of this any longer. Like I have to go. Which, you know, feigning mental illness isn't a good thing, but you know, part of me is like, I get, I get it still not good, but I get it. Mm -hmm. He, okay. So this is the name of the theater. I don't use this term on a regular basis, but Poitier joined the American Negro Theater, but was rejected by audiences at the time because he was tone deaf and could not sing. And at this time, you really had to be like a triple threat when you were working in theater. You couldn't just focus your um, skills and on one um, area. So he spent the next six months refining his acting skills and trying to erase his Bahamian accent so that he, he could sing. Um, he definitely wasn't the best of singers. Like he would tell you like, I could hold a tune fine, but I wasn't the best. And after this, he had a short stint on Broadway. All right. We love a Broadway King. We do. Yes. It was around this time that he made his film debut in 1947's CPS Cinderella. Um, I don't know why this just came to my mind, but when I was in high school, you know how, like when you got your pictures taken, they would show you what it looked like in grayscale and sepia and in color. Mm -hmm. I had a friend one time she was looking at them and instead of sepia she said sepia and I I don't know why that stuck with me that's like me with Rasputin Rasputin yes Rasputin and sepia Mm -hmm. so this role in sepia Cinderella was an uncredited appearance but still it was his acting debut and we 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 applaud him for it because it was 1947 and this is a black man trying to make it in Hollywood After this, in 1958, he stars alongside Tony Curtis in The Defiant Ones. This is like his biggest role to date. Um, Tony Curtis, for those of you um, who may know him from Some Like It Hot, uh, that's my most notable um, thing for him. He was obviously a very famous guy at the time, but I always remember him as one of the drag queens from Some Like It Hot. Yes, with Marilyn Monroe. Yes, of course. It was a critical and commercial success with his performance being majorly praised, which once again, this is 1958. Big steps. Yes, big steps. The world was not an integrated place at the time. Not at all. The very next year in 1949, 50, God, I I keep looking at his name, Poitier, and I want to say like, like, you know, I, I keep wanting to add the accent on everything. French accent. French accent. Oh, we are the fish bees. <laughs> Not veggie tales. <laughs> okay. In 1959, he begins starring in the Broadway production of a fairly familiar um, show. Annabelle, you might have heard of this show called A Raisin in the Sun. Yes, this is. I haven't seen a lot of like older movies as listen those the films are not my specialty but I have seen this one because I had to read it in high school so I've, I watched this one in class. That's awesome that you got to read this in school because I think we've talked about this before my high school reading curriculum was subpar to say the least so. I'm guessing there was nothing about um 
you know, the struggles of the African-American community growing not, up. In not in the way that, that A Raisin in the Sun was. Like we read To Kill a Mockingbird, but obviously yeah. that's a story about white children written by a white woman. So right, yeah. I love that book, but. Great know. book, but yeah, not, not an author of color. Yes. So his performance in A Raisin in the Sun was met with overwhelming praise, Mm -hmm. showing Black lives to primarily white audiences, because at this time, the majority of people going to Broadway shows are white people, because racism and classism, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And people were just like blown away, like, wow, he has so much talent. You know, you know how it'd be. And he actually later starred, like Annabelle said, in the 1961 film version, and he received another Golden Globe nomination. He had gotten a few in the past uh, for smaller roles, but he received one for this. And this is the beginning of what I like to say is when Sidney Poitier really establishes himself in American film as a strong Black man regularly tackling racial issues on and off the screen. And he would strategically pick his roles to make a statement about where he stood on these issues, which I think is very brave and something to be admired, definitely. Yeah, especially for the time. Absolutely, yes. In 1963, Lilies of the Field was released, which won him the Academy Award for Best Actor. This makes him the first Black man to ever achieve this feat. And a lot of people are always really surprised by this because they assume that he won the Academy Award for In the Heat of the Night or A Raisin in the Sun or Look Who's Coming to Dinner. And it's like, no, y'all, it was Lilies of the Field. Get into it. Get it right. Get it right. Oh, my God. Um, His satisfaction at this honor was undermined by his concerns that this award was more of the industry congratulating itself for having him as uh, the token Black actor, and it would inhibit him from asking for more substantive uh, considerations afterwards. Like, he he wasn't really big about awards. Like, he was more about the act of acting itself. Like, he was, he's like, I'm not in it to be, you know, congratulated by all of you. Actions over titles, yeah. Correct, yes. He worked relatively little over the following year, uh, remaining the only major actor of African descent really in Hollywood, like he was the main player. And the roles offered to him were predominantly typecast as, like I said, again, a soft-spoken appeaser. One second, I'm sorry. Yeah, the giraffe throat. In 1964, he records an album with Fred Katz called Poitier Meets Plato, where he does just that. He recites um, classic Plato um, poetry. So it's not music, it's just recitation? Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, which we'll get more into later, hint, hint, wink, wink. In 1967, in my opinion, and many others' opinion, honestly, it's his most successful year. To Sir With Love comes out, In the Heat of the Night comes out, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner comes out. And I've seen In the Heat of the Night, but I and I know about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and To Sir With Love, but I've never seen them all the way through. Sorry. So I just wanted to go over them really quickly. To Serve With Love tackled social and racial issues in inner city East London, which I only know from watching RuPaul's Drag Race UK, but East London is historically a black community. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. I like that. In the heat of the night, he plays a black cop investigating a murder in deep South Mississippi. And this is obviously where he gets his iconic line, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Mm -hmm. 
iconic. I remember what movie was it when I was little? It was Lion King. Lion King makes a reference to In the Heat of the Night because it's like right at the end of their, it's during the penultimate like altercation. And I think the hyenas call Pumbaa like a, a, a pig or something. And he's like, you talking to me? You talking to me? They call me Mr. Pig. And obviously as a child, I didn't realize the reference, but. I did not know that was a reference either. That's what I'm here for. That's, and it, it's been referenced in all different types of things, but that's the one that always stuck with me in my mind. Um, he won a Golden Globe and a British Academy Film Award for his portrayal as Virgil Tibbs in The Heat of the Night. And it also produced two sequels, which I didn't know about until doing my research. I did not know those had sequels either. They weren't very successful, but that's beside the point. Anyways, um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was one of the first films attacking the social issue of interracial relationships in a positive way for the time. He he co-starred alongside Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, both of which he had to audition for at separate dinner parties. Oh, really? Yeah. Like he had to like get approval from these two heavyweights in Hollywood. Let's let's gatekeep Hollywood further. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's it's not great, but I thought it was an interesting fact to throw in. It is interesting. No, this is actually my mom's favorite movie. You've told me that before. Yeah, I always remembered you saying that about your mom. I've yet to see it, but I, I mean, my mom has like okay taste. Like some <laughs> things are like really good that she loves and other things I'm like, oh, mom, like no. Or some things I just don't get because it's like a nostalgia thing. But um, I We're think I would call out this. your mom's taste level. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a difference of opinion, right? Like everything she likes is like at least three hours long. And I just don't have the attention. Span uh, like her okay. favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, boring. Sorry. And, no, I totally agree. It's boring. And then like after a <laughs> while, you're like, oh, depressing. We've we been sitting here like, oh, good Lord. It just it keeps it keeps going and like literally every tv show has done a spin-off of like what if they were never born and what mm-hmm. would their life look like you know like you know what's gonna happen yes so i don't know i don't know jimmy stewart is also an icon i guess but just we love jimmy stewart yeah just i can't <laughs> it's too much <laughs> thus ends annabelle's rant on guess who's coming to dinner and it's a wonderful life i'm sure this is a wonderful film with Cindy poitier but It's also worth noting that this film was released six months after interracial marriage was legalized nationwide in the U.S. Was this, um, so if I'm remembering my U.S. government correctly, that was the court case of Loving versus Virginia. You're correct. In the Supreme Court. And that is where, fun fact, Virginia gets its state slogan of Virginia is for lovers. Which I did not know about until I came to college. and. It kind of pisses me off that Virginia is the state that said you can't get married to this, like you, you as a black woman and a white man cannot get married, but yet we're going to reap the benefits of your last name because their last name was loving. We're going to reap the benefits of your last name for our like state logo for years afterward. That pisses me off. I'm sorry. Yeah. the, The case went all the way up to the Supreme court and the Supreme court ruled that interracial marriage is like protected under like right to privacy basically yes Mm -hmm. um 
if I'm remembering correctly, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Equal protection and due process. Yes, you're right. But Virginia is like always one of those states that's like a hotbed for action in history just because it was like one of the first colonies and like a lot of the founding fathers were from there and there's like racism as well as advocates against racism abolitionists and you know so that doesn't surprise me that they capitalized on it but I agree it's a little blah also if um you guys want more information on that case the 2016 film loving fantastic movie wonderful go watch it um but yeah interracial relationships guys Big deal. And Sydney Poitier was helping lead the way. Where are my notes? There they are. <laughs> Sorry. Um, at this time, he began to be criticized for being typecast as an over-idealized version of African-American characters who were not permitted to have any sexuality or personality faults. And it's rough because obviously he wanted more for his characters and he would fight as much as he could but the decisions did go back to the production companies and the producers and the directors so he can't help the way that he's being produced on screen he can do as much as he can with the material given right of course he didn't write the character yeah no and if he like tried to like ad lib and do a bunch of stuff he'd probably get canned yeah or get edited out um yeah, so I definitely feel for him in this subject or this area of his life because that's not what he wanted. You mm-hmm. know, you can't like it's and obviously this is a time when social media is not present. So we don't know as much about the filmmaking process as we would, you know, nowadays, but I do I do feel bad for him. And I also wrote in my notes this comes along with the argument is any representation good representation? The answer is no. The answer is no. That's right. The answer is absolutely no. Because once again, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was the first uh, film to portray interracial relationships in a positive way. Up until that point, they'd always been seen as like the scum of the earth and people who were involved with them were like heathens going to hell. So that's not good representation. No, not at all. Same goes for African-American characters. As his career began to slow down, he turns more towards directing the most successful being 1980s stir crazy with richard pryor and gene wilder i believe this is uh my co-worker and i were talking about it the other day and he's an older gentleman and he was like that's the best movie he ever made and i was like he ain't even in it <laughs> but <laughs> like <laughs> i was like you know to each their own it's fine <laughs> He received Emmy nominations for his work in the miniseries Separate But Equal. Did not win, but did get nominated. He won a Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album in 2001. Love it. And this led me um, down the path to see if Sidney Poitier ever egotted and learned that while he didn't, he has received at least one nomination for each of the awards. Okay, that's still an accomplishment, though. Absolutely, yes. And he has the big ones if he has a Grammy and an Oscar. Yes, damn the Emmys and the Tonys. Those were the two that I could not find he won awards for, so. Well, it doesn't sound like he was on Broadway long enough to potentially get a Tony award. Correct, yes. In 2002, Poitier receives the Honorary Academy Award for his contributions to American cinema. cinema. There I go again. Um, That same year, Denzel Washington won for Best Actor for Training Day, becoming only the second Black actor to win the award. So You ran because Sidney Poitier walked. Literally, it's funny because there's a clip from the show where um, he's accepting the award, and he was like, 
You know, I've always wanted to be like Sidney Poitier and I finally get my night and what do they do? They give him an award the same night. And it's really ah. uh, like you, they cut to him. They cut to Sidney Poitier in the stands and he stands up and he like shows his Oscar and Denzel's like, I'll always be chasing you, Sydney. And let me tell you, sir, there is nothing I would rather do. Like, it's a beautiful Aww. moment. It's, it's so cute. But I'm just like, it took y'all 34 years to give it to another black man. I know. Get it together, Academy. That's wild. Yeah. In 2012, he becomes the oldest living recipient of an Academy Award for Best Actor at 85 years old. I'm pretty sure this is following the death of Ernest Borgnine, Mm -hmm. who Annabelle obviously knows. I don't. (laughs) He was a very famous actor. Um, I can't name, the sad thing is I can't name you any of the films that he was in during his lifetime, but I can tell you that he was the voice of Mermaid Man in Spongebob. Oh, love it. Ernest, yeah. say that again. Borgnine. Borgnine. <laughs> I have no idea. It's, is, that's gotta be like, is it Russian or something? I was always thinking German, but you know, that's Maybe. just me spitballing. I butchered it so bad. I don't have anything coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just B-O- b-o-r-g-n-i-n-e pretty sure ah okay yeah i put a j in there because i just like she was ready she was like let's see what he was in he was in ernest borgine he was in this is everything i love this some old movies the Flight of the Phoenix, The Dirty Dozen, Ice Station Zebra. Yeah, Poseidon you know. Adventure. Poseidon Emperor, is very famous. Yes. Emperor of the North, Convoy, The Black Hole, Escape from New York. That was television and later works were Mikhail's Navy. I have heard of that. That's, yeah, very um, famous. Yes. Uh, Mermaid Man. Mermaid Man. As you mentioned. Email. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually remember when he passed away because I was, um, I don't know, I was I was sitting at home with my parents and they were like, oh, Ernest, Berg- Ernest Borgnine died. And I was like, ah, evil. That's my favorite line from Spongebob ever. Um, okay, so anyways, in 2021, the lobby of the Academy Award Museum was renamed the Sidney Poitier Grand Lobby in his honor, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. From excuse me, from 1995 until 2003, he served as a member of the board of directors for the Walt Disney Company, which I did not know. I thought that was really cool. Very cool. I've been like, I've been on this weird track lately on YouTube where I've been watching like histories of Disney lately. I don't Mm -hmm. consider myself a Disney adult, but I'm always like fascinated by the history and like all the stuff that Walt Disney was able to accomplish in his life. So I've been watching a a lot of those. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of those lately just to like learn, have something on in the background from 1997 until 2007, he was appointed ambassador from the Bahamas to Japan. So that was really cool. I don't know why, but rad nonetheless. And from 2002 to 2007, he was the ambassador of the Bahamas to UNESCO. Are you familiar with UNESCO? Yes, it is. Um, I want to make sure I don't get it mixed up with UNICEF. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure UNESCO has like 
aren't they education oriented? Yes. The e stands for? Yeah. yes, United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. They do a lot of stuff with like national monuments. That's like where yes. they focus. Okay, and that's what I thought. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with like, yeah, big sites and landmarks and stuff like that. Yes. Fun fact, this is what my first year Odyssey was at UGA, learning all about UNESCO and how to preserve world heritage sites. I like it. So that's how I know about them. And as we all know, uh, Sidney Poitier died at his home in Los Angeles on January 6th at the age of 94. And good long life. Good long life. A wonderful life. He's so great. We're we're happy to have lived in the same time frame as him and well done to this beautiful man. So yes, that is my first absolutely. segment. Rip to a real one. We love it. A rip to a real one. Thank oh, you for thank educating you. me on both him and Ernest organine yes yes of course the more you know all right you want to get into some white collar crime always yes all right here we go people this episode or the, excuse me this story is called the end of elizabeth holmes <gasps> three years after she was indicted three years it took three years for this to three whole years and a 15-week trial it's finally over Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of now defunct blood testing company Theranos, has been found guilty on three counts of wire fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. So four total guilty charges. In total, she was charged with 11 counts of various crimes relating to wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Mm -hmm. She was found guilty on those four that I mentioned. She was found not guilty on four others, and there were three of the remaining counts that the jury just could not come up with a verdict Figured on. out. It was, they were hung. They debated for a really long time, as we'll get into, and they could not make a decision. So those will likely be tossed out, those three remaining ones. So it's, it's kind of a mixed verdict here. Um, there was reportedly no emotion from Elizabeth Holmes when the verdict was read, which is wild, as we've seen in some recent court cases when the verdict is read and granted these were a little bit more emotional of cases like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial mm -hmm. and the Ahmaud Arbery case there was a lot of emotion from the defendants but you know this is a little bit different um and Elizabeth Holmes is known for be having like a very stoic face so I can't say this is too much of a surprise yeah. but the jury was eight men and four women it was a little bit more balanced when the jury was initially selected but there have been a lot of hiccups throughout this process where the jurors have had to get called up as alternates because uh, one lady, if you remember, she, <coughs> excuse me, Let it out. she is a Buddhist and she did not feel comfortable like serving on a jury and having to deliver a verdict because she didn't want to be responsible for anybody being punished potentially. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why that didn't come up in jury questioning, but she was selected to the jury and then expressed concerns and they dismissed her. There was someone else who got dismissed because she could not be out of work for that long because she, you know, wasn't going to get paid while she was on jury duty leave. And then a third juror, the doing, juror. a third juror was doing Sudoku during the trial. No, <laughs> not the king. That, that's so me. I love <sighs> Sudoku. That's something I do when I'm bored. And this lady was doing Sudoku like during the court proceedings and the judge oh is God. like, damn, you can't. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, this is just how I focus. And he's like, no, you can't focus on 
very complex scientific court readings and then Sudoku. So she got dismissed. She basically just got kicked out. What a legend. I stand by her. I know. I thought it was funny. Like I probably would have gotten really bored at some point too. So I can't say I blame her, but anyway, it's funny. So the jury had eight men and four women after a few alternates called up for that reason. So as I said, the jury could not reach a verdict on three counts that Holmes was convicted of. Mm -hmm. Um, So the judge like overseeing this, his name is Judge Davila. He read something called an Allen charge because the jury was like, yo man, we don't know what to do with this. And he, the Allen charge is basically the judge instructing the jury to like try harder. (laughs) So he's like, go back, keep going. And then they came back and they're like, we're deadlocked and he's like would more time help you and the jury was like no like we've argued about this in circles and about half the camp was like she's guilty on these charges the other half of the camp was like no she's not so those are probably going to be tossed out because they were stuck after all that deliberation so surprising outcome because it was such a mix of verdicts what's also interesting is that there was kind of a big bombshell at one point in the trial where it came out that Elizabeth Holmes is going to talk about her past relationship with her um, COO, Sonny Balwani. Yeah. And she was going to talk about how he abused her uh-huh. and how she was you know, a victim of like emotional and verbal and sexual abuse. I remember that. And yes. she did talk about that a little bit on the stand. She testified for a while and it really seemed like, you know, whether the jury bought that or not, they didn't think it was relevant at all. It was not playing into their outcome here of whether or not she was guilty because at the end of the day, everything flows up to the CEO mm-hmm. and she was the CEO and the founder and she was the one managing all of the investors. And it should also be known that they, the counts that she was found guilty on, all of the charges brought against her were a mix of, did she defraud investors and did she defraud patients Mm. that they were all of the accounts that she was found guilty of were defrauding of investors she was found not guilty on defrauding patients which is really interesting because the patients were people who got like really incorrect test results they were told they had cancer when they weren't or you know that they had certain levels of things that were too high and it was bad because you can make really incorrect decisions based on a bad blood test yeah but the judge you know way before all this started he limited what was able to be used as testimony for Mm -hmm. the patients patients cannot talk about anything emotional they couldn't talk about really any of their experiences other than did you receive this test what was your result did you feel like it was right or wrong did you get a test from another blood company to verify blah 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 so it was not nearly the same amount of evidence for the patients as it was for the investors they weren't on the stand for as long they couldn't you know talk as much they couldn't provide any like emotional details so it's likely that the jury just didn't feel like they had enough evidence to convict her on defrauding patients as they did for defrauding investors yeah because there just was less there so it, it does kind of make sense um and the jury also says that they have a star system for the credibility of witnesses so everything was on a scale of like one to four four stars being like everything they said seemed completely believable three is like solid two is okay 
Yeah. And then one is not believable at all. Nobody had a one-star witness, but Elizabeth Holmes was actually the only two-star witness. So the jury didn't believe some of what Elizabeth said. She got up there and they're like, mm, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. So yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how all that played out. So she has not been sentenced yet, but the maximum punishment is up to 20 years in prison for per convicted account. So like max 80 years, like one, 20 years for each count. That's It's not likely it's going to stack that way, mm-hmm. um, but I guess that's potentially possible. And $250,000 fine per count as well. So up to a million dollars in fines for everything that she was charged for so far. So sentencing is going to happen, you know, sometime in the future, the judge is going to have a lot of leeway with this because there are federal guidelines, but there's a lot of kind of bending. They're just, everything is up to the judge. Nothing is mandatory in the guidelines for the sentencing. So the judge will probably take into account that she does have a young baby at home. That's part of the reason why the trial got delayed so far along with COVID. Um, She gave birth, I believe it was like back in June or July. Mm -hmm. She had a newborn. So that was um, a cause for delay. And a lot of judges are, you know, hesitant to put young mothers in prison. Yeah. But um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It is likely she goes to jail for at least a little while. Oh, and with federal jails, you can't get out on good behavior. So she would have to serve the full term mm-hmm. that was allowed. So what's interesting, though, is now that this is kind of all over until the sentencing and it's it's almost guaranteed that she will appeal this because that's what you know most people do is they appeal the decision and that that'll take years so it's not really the end of Elizabeth Holmes and it's not really the end of the saga but it's like the verdict was read so it kind of feels like a nice little bow on everything mm-hmm. so what happens now um there's actually going to be another Theranos trial for Sonny Balwani which was her COO and former boyfriend which I talked about he's denied all of the allegations that she said about him you know, abusing has. her and all of that He's also denied all of the allegations brought against him, which are pretty much the same thing of like wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Um, but the government who's prosecuting this case, they could kind of change their strategy based on the outcome of the Holmes case. So since none of the patient conspiracy frauds were, you know, those were all rendered not guilty. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible they could like throw those out and just not bother with it and focus on the investors we don't really know what's going to happen, um, but Sunny will be tried in February, so that'll be coming up. I'm definitely not going to cover that trial as much on the podcast as I did this one. Um, she him. is just so iconic in like a bad way <laughs> that I think it's important <laughs> to talk about. Um, I mean, there are not that many women in Silicon Valley, and she was one of the few, and like it could have been so great to have this amazing woman entrepreneur founding a major healthcare tech company and it just fell through completely just so what does this case and the verdict say about silicon valley so Mm -hmm. investors who were kind of doing trying to scope around and figure out what they want to invest in it's so so important that they need to do their due diligence in order to be you know get all of the facts do your research 
a lot of investors who testified in the Elizabeth Holmes case, they said that they didn't feel like they could do a lot of their own research because they were worried they would be uninvited from participating in the investment. Mm, Which is wild, but they just didn't want to rock the boat, basically. They didn't want to upset the CEO. You can't give the CEO that much power, right? Like you're giving them money, you should have the power. Yes. They need you, you don't really need them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way I think they should look at it. So, and Silicon Valley is always going to be a place of high risk and high reward. And are there some white lies told early to get investors on board? Yeah, probably. But this just took it way too far. Yes. They, they've got to dial it back. You can't be lying about this. Um, and one final thing I kind of want to talk about with this, and I want your opinion too, Alyssa, from what we talked about. ready to give it to you, baby. Do you think she was judged more harshly because she's a woman? Based on what we've talked about. Oh, this is always such a hard question to answer. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think out my answer. Like, I feel that in some ways she was, um, especially in the sense that she tried to explain um, the abuse angle to them. And they said, that doesn't matter. But when it comes down to people that you're working with, you know, it can definitely play a role in how things, you know, follow through. So, I mean, if I, if I had to pick one or the other, I'd say yes. So what about you? It's complicated just because he, Sonny Balwani is so much older than her. And anytime you're going to have a romantic relationship with someone you work closely with, it's, it's just going to get messy. Like that's yes. just general, a bad idea. And she definitely should have known better. And so should he, um, my opinion is actually, no, she was not judged more okay. harshly based on just being a woman. We will see what happens with the sentencing, obviously, but with the verdict, Look, I'm not going to like make excuses for other white collar criminals who should or shouldn't be in jail. Mm-hmm. Like if they're not in jail, but they should be, you know, they, whatever they should be. Yeah. <laughs> but this one cannot be overstated with how important it is because it's a healthcare fraud. Yes. Like, as I said, people make life-changing decisions based off results of a blood test. Yes, they do. And it can cost so much time and effort and money to have health issues that were diagnosed because of an incorrect blood test. Mm -hmm. So while we didn't get a lot of patient testimony, I think it's important to set an example for other healthcare tech companies in the startup arena that you just like, you've, you've got to be honest. You cannot roll out something that is not ready. They rolled out these testing devices or they rolled out their nose blood testing in Walgreens, like all over California and Arizona. Mm-hmm. They did not have FDA approval. They mm-hmm. were not ready for it. Like there was just no reason for that to happen. And it's completely different to lie about that versus lying about like, oh, we have a billion daily users, mm-hmm. you know, versus like a hundred million. So I don't know. It's just, it's serious to me because it's healthcare and it's people's lives and the abuse thing is tricky. If that did happen to her, I absolutely feel bad that she was a victim of that. But at the end of the day, this was her company. She was the CEO and she had the company before she even met 
Sonny Balwani. That's so. true. Yes. That, that's my take. This is her thing at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's the end of the Elizabeth Holmes saga for now. We will see what happens with sentencing, but as we said, I think this is probably about the last of it we'll cover on the podcast unless there's anything big breaking bombshells. Nice. So my second story isn't so much of a story, but just like a chat, if you will, so we can go through this very quickly. Um, As I said at the top, the 64th annual Grammy Awards have been postponed indefinitely. They were originally scheduled for the end of this month on January 31st in Los Angeles, but because of Omicron and self uh, safety regulations and health concerns regarding that, they have been postponed at this time. What's different about this year concerning the Grammys is that last year when they were postponed, they were given a date. So far, we have yet to hear anything about a new date for this um, award ceremony. And obviously, uh, this past week, the uh, the Golden Globe Awards went on without being televised. Um, broadcasted there was no red carpet there like there was no ceremony basically it was just like you're sitting at home and it's like oh like I can even attest that like I was sitting at home and I saw the news about um Michaela J Rodriguez um making history as the first trans woman to win a golden globe fantastic news but Mm -hmm. at the same time I was like oh yeah golden globes happen and I hate it for her in the regard in the regard that of course, the year that she wins, no one gets to see it. Yeah, that's that's really not fair that that happened to her at all. And so part of me wonders because that there's no um, situation going on with um, a new date. Do you, Annabelle, feel that the Grammy Awards could soon face the same fate as the Golden Globes? It's hard to say. Um, cause the golden globes is sort of like that combo between TV and movies. Mm-hmm. So because we have the Oscars and because we have the Emmys, it makes sense to me that that was kind of the one that got the boot from TV, Fair. but just with award shows getting less and less views every time they're aired, I do think it's possible, but I think the more likely explanation here is people have just like given up on trying to predict when things will be okay again. So I think postponed indefinitely is just like, we'll see what happens. We're not making promises. And it's also worth noting that this is also the year following, you know, the weekend making the announcement that he is no longer going to submit for the Grammys. This is following major backlash that they received for the the situation of so so like when last year when the situation happened with uh the lineup was released for the grammys it was very well contested obviously you know it's my boys so bts was announced to be performing at the grammys for the first time and this was a huge feat for the army as we're called and we were very excited. We were nominated, but then the way the Grammys formatted the ceremony went terribly. So a lot of the awards are actually announced prior to the actual beginning of the ceremony being televised. So you're watching like red carpet coverage and at the bottom of the screen, it's like, oh, congratulations. So-and-so you won this award. And that award 
that BTS was nominated for best pop duo group performance, it's obvious that people are going to tune in for that award. So when you put it in the pre-show, you're already, you know, like dooming yourself to have much less ratings than if you'd announced it midway through the show. So that was their first mistake during the 2021 ceremony. Their second one, and it's still regarding BTS guys, I'm sorry. This is just, you know, from a fan's perspective, this is how I see it. They space out the performances throughout the night, you know, coinciding with the announcement of many of the winners. And they strategically placed BTS at the very end of the ceremony so that they could get people to stay and watch the whole show, anticipating BTS's performance. Was this a smart move on their part? Yes, it was. But because they had already given away their award before the show had even started, it doomed them in that regard. And obviously, there are a lot of other players in this um, space that can, um, be affected in the same way, but I'm just speaking as a BTS fan. Those are the two major things that they did wrong for the 2021 ceremony. Mm -hmm. And personally, um, seeing the backlash following the Grammys last year, um, no one is really interested in watching, um, Grammys from our side, at least this year. So especially, coming off a very successful year for us. We only once again got one nomination. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's, you know, that's just one side of the very, you know, very complex uh, discussion that we can have about the Grammys. That's the BTS side for you guys. Yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I think with social media and artists being able to kind of promote their own content better and even without having live concerts right now with COVID, I think it's just easier for fans to be able to appreciate an artist's music without an award ceremony. I'm not saying it renders the Grammys completely obsolete, because at the end of the day, it's still, you know, an honor and an award for achievements in the music industry. But I don't think the Grammys are like, I don't know, I just don't think they're the gold standard anymore. It's also, you know, we can go full circle back to Sidney Poitier, who um, made it very well known at the um, in his career in the 60s and 70s that he wasn't playing this game for awards. He was playing it because it was something that made him happy and he realized how it would affect his fans. And I feel like a lot more artists these days are going about it in that regard. They're realizing that, you know, an award is an award and it's fantastic to have, but at the end of the day, an award does not mean that you're successful. Like right. we talked about when I first announced the Grammy nominees, ABBA got their first nomination this year. And yeah. ABBA is one of the most popular bands on the face of this earth. Yeah. It's just wild. Like it's really not indicative of success mm -mm, at all. So that's all I have on that. No, I love a good discussion about things like that more open-ended so we'll see i guess what happens with the grammys if anything if bts don't win their damn award we gonna fight <laughs> mm -hmm. okay so my last story a little bit of a downer sorry to end on a down note but this story is called climate crisis not averted <gasps> yeah we're all gonna die <laughs> we'll see 
So the last seven years have been the hottest years on record because hell yeah of, they have yeah <laughs> not not in a fun way no because of heat trapping greenhouse gas emissions they just keep going up and up and up and they do not stop. Last year it was 0.3 degrees Celsius above the average temperature for the 1991 to 2020 period. So basically, like the average temperature for last year alone was higher than the average for the entire like 30-year period there. Yeah. 2021 was the fifth hottest year ever on record. Um, and now it should be noted that some of the fluctuations in temperature were expected due to weather patterns and ocean patterns, especially El Nino and La Nina. And La Nina was definitely present in 2021. That's why there was some bad hurricanes and things like that going on. But a lot of this, it can't be just chalked up to, you know, natural occurrences in weather patterns and in the ocean. Like it really does at the end of the day, come down to humans and what we've done. So Carlo Bontempo, he is the director of the Copernicus service, which they basically, climate change is their whole thing. And they were kind of the ones who were delivering this news yesterday. He said, 2021 was yet another year of extreme temperatures with the hottest summer in Europe, heat waves in the Mediterranean, not to mention the unprecedented high temperatures in North America. So a lot of like the additional greenhouse gases that were released, they're going to lead to drier conditions and more extreme temperatures, worsening weather conditions, all that kind of stuff. So it can't be overstated. And we know that there was a lot of extreme weather last year, like all the snow in Texas that they got and multiple hurricanes. And there were really bad tornadoes in Kentucky and Tennessee and things like that. So it, it you may think it doesn't matter, but if it's causing these kinds of weather events that are killing people and damaging homes, you know, it matters. Yes. So last year, and I believe we talked about this on the podcast when it happened, there was a climate summit in Glasgow where there was an agreement among over 200 countries who all pledged to fight faster and harder against climate change. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of a lot of pomp and circumstance. There have been incremental changes because of that, but there really hasn't been anything substantial that's happened as a result of that summit. So a lot of talk and not a lot of action thus far from, you know, politicians around the world. And some parts of the world, they've kind of warmed a lot more than others last year. Like we said, Europe had a very extreme summer. Um, If you were in Europe over the summer, A, I'm a little jealous, but B, I hope you had your sunscreen because there were blistering heat waves in the Mediterranean. There were also floods in Central Europe. There was a lot of issues going on there. I believe it was Germany had some really deadly floods. Mm -hmm. So that's no bueno. Um, And the 10 hottest years for Europe have all occurred since 2000. So in the last 21 years, they've had their 10 hottest years. (laughs) And seven of the hottest years have all been between 2014 and 2020. So yeah, seven for eight there. (laughs) No bueno. Um, And in North America, a severe heat wave in June broke maximum temperature records and resulted in the warmest June on record for the continent, which could you feel it, Alyssa? Um, I'm sure I did in the moment, (laughs) but it's like lately I've been thrown off by the weather here in Texas because one day it'll be 76 and now today it's 53. So like I I've I'm in weather whiplash right now. 
Yeah, I can imagine. That's a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. So there's a heat wave in June. Dry conditions are also not good for wildfires. That's going to exacerbate all of that, which have been happening in the American West and in Canadian provinces. We all know those were really bad. The Dixie Fire was the second largest fire in California history. It burned nearly 1 million acres. Obviously, mm-hmm. air quality after that was really poor, and thousands of people had to evacuate. So very scary things. Yes. And with the global temperature going up, it's very important to keep it from surpassing 1.5 degrees Celsius above what it has been. So that's that's what they say the they can't have it go up by that much because then that's when it gets like really, really bad. Um, but if they can keep it below that, it'll avert, you know, some of the worst effects of climate change. And keep in mind, these are just estimates, but these are people who have poured their whole life into this. Correct. And they've been researching. So they are, you know, to be believed. Worth listening to. Uh, Freya von Borg, she is the senior scientist at Copernicus. She said, the really important thing is to not get hung up on the ranking of one particular year, but rather kind of see the bigger picture of ever warming temperatures. And that ever warming doesn't mean every year will be warmer than the next. But that was what we've seen so far with every decade getting warmer than the next. And this is quite likely to continue. So she said that for the people who were like, oh, like it wasn't actually warmer this year. Or people who just get hung up on like the tree within the forest, you know, like this is this is definitely a problem. And unless we figure out a way to decrease greenhouse gas emissions, it's it's definitely going to continue. So with Earth's average temperature being around 1.1 degrees Celsius above what the average temperature was for pre-industrial levels, 73% of the way to that bad 1.5 degree threshold, mm-hmm. we'll get, we will be 73% of the way there. Yes. That's what they, that's what the Copernicus group says. So they believe that this is a conservative estimate, so it's potentially worse. Um, but I know this is a lot of numbers, but the bottom okay. line is that it's scary and we have to do something about it. And I, do you remember when we were talking about how a lot of progressives didn't want Jay Powell to get a second term as Fed chairman? Yes. Because they didn't feel like he did enough for climate change. Mm-hmm. That's so hypocritical because nobody's doing anything for climate change. I'm not saying Jay Powell like shouldn't help out but like he doesn't deserve to shoulder the entire blame either who is doing anything nobody that's my point <laughs> don't put it on jpal's shoulders he's got enough to deal with jerome inflation's terrible right now terrible um, terrible so yeah that's what i got um walk when you can carpool when you can use your reus- reusable grocery sacks um but more importantly we just need the government and companies to step up and do their part because they're the ones putting out most of it. Correct. Do you have a smile file? I made it a goal for 2022 to read more. So Alyssa has been up on her Goodreads app. Like she has it on her phone. She has it on her desktop. And I've already read two books for the year. I set a goal of reading 12, one for each month, just to like 
you know, I didn't know how busy I'd be later in the year. So uh, right now I'm reading Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. McQuiston. And it's lovely. It's gay as hell. So it's right up my alley. And I'm also reading um, Going There, uh, Katie Couric's memoir. So those have been really fun. Just being able to get back into reading. I've been really feeling my life right now. How about you? I like it. Um, I mean, I literally the dogs are why I'm smiling today. Literally, I started my therapy session off this morning with the dogs won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> game too. Yeah, but that's um I'm excited. I get to go to Athens this weekend. We're gonna go to the parade, watch everything with so the uh, celebrations, and we're gonna go to a UGA basketball game. And UGA basketball, by the way, is not great amazing. But it'll be fun just to be back on campus and with all that going on, I'm excited. I've already ordered my special edition of the red and black. I've got a shirt on the way. Like my bank account is saying, ho, slow down a little bit, but But go dogs, go dogs. The, the special edition of the red and black is going up on my wall, Mm -hmm. like get into it. Um, but yeah, we're really excited. Yes. Super stoked. Go dogs. Go dogs. We will see you guys soon. We'll have another episode and we'll hopefully get our content back on track for regular weekly episodes. Just had a little bit of a lull for the holidays, but it's 2022. So no excuses. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye.